Movie Date is supported by the Movie Music Stream at yourclassical.org. Soundtracks for every moment of the day and features that complement your listening experience. Movies at yourclassical.org. Kristen, as listeners know, our Facebook page is handled primarily by you. Well, you said you were going to, you know, be a part of it now. I did say that, didn't I? <laughs> and I've tried and I have tried to be. The thing is that you don't know how to use Facebook. I don't know how to use it. <laughs> you were so kind. You were like, Kristen, I don't want you to do all the heavy lifting with the social media stuff. I'm going to help out. And then you would call me and text me and be like, how do I do this thing called check a new message? How do I message somebody? Well, I was all infuriated because I couldn't get the – I had to download the Messenger app. And then I couldn't figure out how to get the – how to be outside of my own Facebook page and get into the movie date Facebook page. Listen, Grandpa. The whole thing is – it's like – it's Maybe like – you should just stick to the Twitter. It's – oh, the Twitter. I'm actually pretty good on Twitter. That's oh, Twitter. Are. Twitter okay. is the one platform that I'm good on. People, people respond. They retweet. They like I'm, – I'm active. I'm engaged. Oh, I'm God. part of the world. Well, you should take over my Twitter handle and I'll just do all of our Facebook, both personal and professional. I'll do all of our Facebooking and you can do everything on Twitter for me. You want to hear who um, recently followed me <gasps> on Tay Twitter? Diggs. Tay Diggs. No, why Tay Diggs? Why would he you... follows everybody at one point or another. He does? Everybody gets followed at one point or another by Tay Diggs. I'm positive he does not follow I'm me. I'm sure What's, he's what am I, following you liver? right now. No, no, Tay Diggs is totally loving you, Rafer. He follows everybody at one point or another. Here's who followed me, and I have no idea why. I have no idea why. Unless unless maybe maybe they're doing what Tay Diggs did. They're, maybe they're just following anyone, you know, just random people. Here's who followed me. Um, Melissa Joan Hart. Oh. No idea why. And then the teenage witch, <laughs> exactly, just out of the blue. Melissa Joan Hart is now following you. Okay, awesome, great. And um, the woman who is the voice of Siri. Whoa! I don't know why. That's like the greatest follower of all time, Rafe. That's pretty good, right? Oh my god, we need to have her as a guest on the podcast at some point. I'm famous. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why. Laugh. <laughs> well, so, Kristen, the reason we're talking about this is because there's a new movie called Unfriended. It's a horror film. It's all about these different social media platforms. It's about the Facebook. It's about G-chatting. It's about Skype. It's the, about... The, yeah, I don't... The Twitter. I don't know if the Twitter's in YouTube there. That YouTube is in there. That, that YouTube is there. Sure. Anything anything from the internets is all in there. Oh, yeah. They'll go on to that. Didn't they use the Instagram in there? They used the Instagram. Is there a Tumblr somewhere? I don't know if there's a I Pinterest. there's a Tumblr in there somewhere. Ooh, is there? Yeah. That Tumblr is also beyond me. No yeah. idea. Don't, don't, don't know what it is. In your brain, you're still into Friendster. That's true. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. <laughs> of course I do. <laughs> That's, that shows you how old I am. I'm LimeWire, baby. That's what I am. Back when you have your live journal. <laughs> Gonna get onto my uh, mm-hmm. excite search engine, and mm-hmm. then I'm gonna. <laughs> and this new thing, vlogs. <laughs> okay, so we're gonna talk about that movie, plus a couple more. We'll talk about True Story, the new movie with James Franco and Jonah Hill. Also, Child Forty Four, the Soviet era thriller with Tom Hardy and Nomi Rapace. And last but not least, Paul Blart Mall Cop Two. Hey, I think you forgot one other thing, though. What? Monkey Kingdom. Oh, I did forget Monkey Kingdom. I'm sorry. We need to not miss out on talking about monkeys. The new Disney Nature documentary. And we also have an interview with the very handsome Oscar Isaac. I'm so jealous. Ugh, all that. All that's coming up on this week's Movie Date Podcast. 
But first, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Rafer Guzman, movie critic for Newsday. And I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture producer for The Takeaway, and this is Movie Date. Dude, homie, over here, man. Really? Yeah. Dude, I'm here in the flesh. Yes, it's no guess. I'm out with John Tesh. Fingers on fidget, concerned with a widget. Getting the feeling that you didn't want to visit. All right, Rafer, we're going to whip through a bunch of these movies quickly because, unfortunately... You didn't get to see all the movies I saw this week, and I didn't get to see all the movies you saw this week. True. So, oh, and you said true, because the first movie we're going to talk about is True Story. This is the true story, in quotes, of a New York Times journalist named Mike Finkel, who he he was embellishing a little bit, you might say. He had a really great career, and then it was found out that he was kind of like compositing people and maybe doing always, some other things. doing that, that at the time. Yeah. And that so, newspaper, you can't trust a word they say. <laughs> the gray lady. You know why she's gray? Because she's shady. Oh, oh the shady yes, lady. I did. Shady. So Mike Finkel goes down in flames, but as he's out there desperate for work, trying to still be a journalist, somebody reaches out to him and says, you know what? There's a man out there who murdered his entire family, and he said when he was apprehended that his name was Mike Finkel. Yes. Here's a clip. Hello? Hi, I'm a reporter with the Oregonian. I wanted to get your side on the Christian Longo story. Who? He murdered his entire family. Why are you telling me this? Because when they apprehended him, he said he was Mike Finkel of the New York Times. So this movie stars Jonah Hill as Mike Finkel, and as the man who murders his family, we have James Franco. Oh, good casting. Yeah, great casting, and you love Felicity Jones, Rafer. Ah, uh, yeah. She is playing Mike Finkel's girlfriend in the movie. Very so, nice. yeah, she's a nice surprise in there. Yeah, the cast is fantastic. The premise of the story is really enticing. Why did this guy steal his identity? Well, because, you know, he's kind of a psychopath. Mm-hmm. He's killed okay. his entire family. So sure. what better person to get on your team than somebody else who isn't afraid to be a little bit shady themselves, and is going to pay attention to him and act like whatever his life is matters. So I thought the premise was fascinating. Unfortunately, I didn't feel there was enough conflict or drama or cat and mouse about this. Mm, yeah, it, it should have been some sort of psychological roller coaster, and sadly, it was not. So I'm going to say True Story was a so-so date. Quick question. How is Jonah Hill? Dramatic role? I like him in dramatic roles. Yeah. I liked him in Moneyball. Yeah. And he's good in this? Yeah, I think he's good. Again, it had potential, and the cast is great. Just not enough tension for me. Okay, I hear you. Uh, Well, let's see how we fare with Child 44, based on the best-selling novel by Tom Robb Smith. This is essentially a serial killer thriller police procedural, but the twist here is that it's set in Soviet-era Russia. Tom Hardy plays Leo Demidov. He's a member of the state security apparatus. His main job is basically nabbing traitors. Sometimes they're real. Sometimes they're imagined. Who cares? If you catch the guy and get him to confess, then your job is done. But he uncovers a string of very grisly murders of young boys all across Russia and wants to catch the killer. The problem is that in Stalin's Russia, crime does not exist. Stalin has decreed that crime is a capitalist disease and it doesn't exist in the communist countries. And therefore, these can't be crimes. These are all accidents. And so Leo has to cover this, these murders up as accidents. He doesn't like that. That bothers him. And he wants to track down the real killer. Here's a clip. If you know anything to endanger my team, if you report anything which undermines my authority, if you, you portray... My officers as incompetent. If you do any of these things, 
That's uh, Gary Oldman as a general who actually turns out to be a much more sympathetic character than you're hearing right there. <laughs> um, I like the whole idea of this. I like the whole uh, the weird party line thinking, that sort of insane, crazy uh, thought control that existed in uh, regimes like this. Tom Hardy, I love. This is the perfect role for him. Um, you know, one of these sort of brutal, hard-headed, going-alone guys, but he's got a pure heart. Tom Hardy's very good about, good about playing characters like that in Locke and The Drop. He's great in those kinds of roles. Uh, Nomi Rapace plays his yeah. wife. Dragon um, Tattoo. Dragon Tattoo. I will say Nomi Rapace has become much less the Dragon Tattoo girl and much more the Rescue Me girl. Have you noticed that about yeah. her? Yeah. There was that one movie where she had the scars all over her. That one, And the drop as well, oh, um, yeah. right? Uh, so so the, her and Hardy are back together. Um, yeah. And I will just say that the movie is really relentlessly grim because it's Soviet-era Russia and things were not great back then. Even though this movie stays pretty much true to the book, I just found the whole plot completely absurd. I found it just ridiculous. Really? I, I mean, there's, there's a whole subplot in there where Leo's wife gets accused of being a spy, which to me is like a nuclear caliber development in one's life in Soviet <laughs> Russia. And yet Leo and his wife are somehow the only people in Soviet Russia who can't be just shot and buried in a ditch. They have to, their murders have to be covered up, which, of course, gives them time to escape and flee and fight back and this and that. And I just think, why doesn't someone just shooting him in the head and then forgetting about him like they do with everyone else in this film. But, you know, not, but not Leo. Leo gets to stay alive. So I found it really, um, really dreary and also silly. And I felt oh. that, that was kind of a deathly combination for this film. And, uh, it also just sounds overly complicated. It is extremely Wait, overstuffed, like, I never as they would say. have been able to follow this. No. I never would have been able to follow no, this. No, very complicated. And also, I don't know why it's called Child 44. <laughs> I still don't know why. So I'm going to say Child 44, not a great date. Probably, actually, I'm going to say it's a pretty bad date. Ooh. Well, I'm glad I didn't go to that one with yes, you, Rafer. you are. But here's one that I'm, that I'm sorry I missed, Monkey Kingdom. Oh, yeah. It's the latest from Disney Nature. They've been putting these movies out every year for about eight years, around Earth Day, the first week of sales. Uh, all the tickets go to support conservation of animals and yep. animal habitats. And so... The past movies have been like chimpanzee, bears, and, you know, what's great about these movies is that they don't just go into the wild and spend years filming these animals. They look for characters within these animal kingdoms. So it's not like the old mutual of Omaha days where you're just sitting there and no one's saying anything. And it's like (laughs) animals in the wild. Well, Jim, (laughs) there's a rhino. Yeah. So in this particular movie, Monkey Kingdom, we have a community of macaques, a troop is what they're called, a troop of macaques. Oh, I did not know that. Who live in Sri Lanka, and it's very hierarchical. It's a caste system. It's horrible. There's this monkey named Maya who is at the very bottom. She's not allowed to be in the tops of the trees. The high-ranking, mean king of the monkeys and his three female consorts, they abuse the rest of the monkeys, especially Maya. And it's it's really sad to see, and you're like, I really want things to work out for Maya. Oh. Well, Maya has a baby with this uh, other monkey who kind of comes through the area. Mm-hmm. His name's Kumar. They have a little rendezvous. She has a baby. And then we have to see her survive as a single mother on top of everything oh, wow. else. It's so hard. And yeah, there are some playful moments, too, some dramatic moments, some really fun ones. Here's a clip. What is that? It's furry. About the size of a langur. Do you speak monkey? Dude, what are you? It likes being groomed.
you might recognize that as Tina Fey's voice. She's the narrator yes. for this one. And yes. that's the monkeys discover some dogs and just start going nuts and playing with Aww. them. And when they see dogs, they act like humans do. They're like, oh, let me pet your belly. Let me play with your ears. Aww. So there are cute moments like that. Some great underwater photography. Um, the, the really interesting drama of Maya, this macaque and her baby and what happens over the course of their story is amazing, actually. It sounds very neorealist. I'm not going to tell you what happens other than Kumar doesn't stay away forever. Uh-huh. Oh, thank goodness Kumar comes back. Thank goodness. Man up, Kumar. So, so I'm going to say Monkey Kingdom. I actually went in as a skeptic, not really sure. I thought, ugh, is this going to be too cutesy? Is it going to be too boring? Is it going to give me mortifying flashbacks to those Mutual of Omaha yep. Sundays when nothing else was on TV? <laughs> but no, it's actually really good fun. And I was laughing out loud and I was cheering for her. So Monkey Kingdom. Really good date. I'm glad to hear that. Okay, good. So and good for kids. Yes, good for kids. I think the kids will laugh out loud during some of these moments too. There's a particular birthday party scene which is pretty hilarious. Oh, okay, good. So that might be on my. Uh, that might be a weekend date for me coming up. Yeah. Uh, all right, switching gears uh, slightly. Although possibly kids might enjoy this film. Uh, yeah, I think kids are gonna. That, isn't that who Paul Blart is for? Paul Blart. Or who is Paul Blart for? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> Paul Blart Mall Cop Two. The sequel is here, Kevin James. Uh, How long has it been since the first one? About six years, I think, right? 2009, I think, was the first one. Admittedly, I paid full price and saw that in the theater. Seems like yesterday, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) So as everyone knows, even if you didn't see the movie, you know Paul Blart. He's He's the mall cop on the Segway, the big heavy guy played by Kevin James. Wanted to be in the uh, police force. Couldn't do it because he's hypoglycemic and tends to pass out and fall asleep at the wrong moments. So he had to settle for being a security guard at the West Orange Pavilion Mall in New Jersey. But, of course, in that film, the first film, he solved a uh, heist. It was basically uh, Die Hard meets the Pink Panther. A bunch of guys came, came in, took over the mall, took some hostages. Paul Blart was the man on the inside, and he took him down. In this uh, sequel, he's going to Las Vegas. As everyone always does in every sequel, they go to Las Vegas. He's there for a trade convention. And, uh, of course, there's another gang of bad guys, and they're going to steal all the art from the Wynn Hotel, the brand spanking new beautiful Wynn Hotel in Las Vegas where Blart is staying. Here's a clip. You got your extra phone battery? Yes. Flashlight? Always. Hot pepper spray? Check. Pocket knife, keychain, window smasher? I do. Baby road flares? Yes, I've got it all. One second here. There. I've set it to monitor so I can hear everything that's going on. Oh, no way. I already feel like a SWAT unit. Security is a mission, not an intermission. That's Ken James. And <laughs> is that Rainy Rodriguez that's his Rainy daughter Rodriguez. again? Yes, oh, indeed. Back. As Maya, yes, his, his half-Latina daughter. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, this is basically, I would say, a repeat of the first film in pretty much every single possible way. I mean, from the plot to uh, the characters, obviously, but also just sort of that that general low energy that I think the first film had. It was kind of mildly amusing, but never, like, gut-bustingly funny. You never, like, laughed out loud during Paul Blart. No, I always felt that the movie is on, and it's Sunday, nothing else is on TV, and you and your siblings are 10, and you're actually playing video games on your smartphone the whole time. Exactly. Yeah. And it's and it's intermittently somewhat funny because there's a little slapstick here and there, and Kevin James will crack a funny line. He'll fall down. Um, and that's basically what you got here. One good thing I will say about this, it's got Neil McDonough in it, um, who's like the guy from uh, Band of Brothers, Justified. He's the kind of blonde-haired actor with the two different colored eyes. Oh. Do you remember him? He is, okay, do you remember, the, do you remember that really jingoistic 
uh, Cadillac commercial that played during the Olympics. Oh, yes, yes. That's Neil McDonough. Oh, All right. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's in this. He plays the villain. He's very funny and very, very knowing. He's sort of sending up that ramrod persona that he's got. He's pretty good as the villain. I think what saves this movie, just like the first one, is that Kevin James is really sweet and it's really likable. And he's a he's an endearing character. He's a working man, dedicated father. His He's got a, a, a mixed ethnicity daughter. He loves her. Mm-hmm. She's overweight. But the movie never plays that for laughs. It's never mean spirited about that. The, that's one of the things I like is Rainy Rodriguez. Yeah. Like, you know, I don't think she's like an outstanding actor or ever is going to be like an Oscar winner or anything. Yeah, maybe not. But I love that she is a fat girl in the movies and yes. there are not enough fat girls in the movies so whenever I see her my heart kind of goes oh yay a fat girl in the movies yeah and the movie and in and again the movie is never off color or raunchy or gross about... and it's never mean there's yeah. no racial humor there's no homophobic humor in it and in a way even though the movie itself I can't call Paul Blart Mall Cop 2 a good date but it's almost kind of refreshing to see a, a film that is just kind of trying to make you laugh in a very sweet, gentle, mild way. So I'm not going to trash it. I'm not going to give it a huge recommendation <laughs> either. But there you go. All right. Well, let's talk about another movie, our, our piste de resistance, oh, the yes. creme de la creme, the, the, the main course today, because it's the movie that you and I both saw. And it's in wide release today. It's all about a group of friends, half a dozen friends, just goofing around one night, all teenagers on the Skype. They're G-chatting each other. They're on Facebook. They have all their apps open at the same time. And notably, we only see them through screens that they're watching. So we're not actually having a camera move around spaces in their homes. We're not actually doing anything other than seeing what they're seeing when they're staring at their screens, including their typing, the dot, dot, dot pause as you're waiting for someone to type something out, the Skype connection with the music, boom, boom, you know, all all of that stuff. We're seeing everything that way. They're all hanging out together on this, which happens to be the one-year anniversary of the suicide of their friend, Laura. Laura, the year before, killed herself after she was cyberbullied. Somebody took a really horrible video of her and then posted that video on the internet and she was relentlessly bullied and told to kill herself. Yep. And three days later, she killed herself. Now it's a year later. And this group of friends is hanging out, but possibly being terrorized by the ghost of their friend, Laura. Here's a clip. Uh, hey, guys. What are you guys doing? <laughs> hey, Mitch, who's your buddy? Who is that? I just tried to hang up on him. Can we get rid of this person? I don't know. Is this here the whole time? Uh, it's just probably a glitch. Well, the glitch just typed. Who is doing this? This is Laura's account. Who would hack into a dead girl's account? Maybe it's Laura. Well, Kristen, there you go. Unfriended. Get it? (laughs) So, uh, yeah, as you were saying, this is told all through every computer platform that uh, we all use. Actually, what I think is the interesting thing about this is it's, it's really told just through one single laptop screen. It's only told through the laptop screen of Blair, the main character. That's all you ever see. It starts, there's a cursor. You see that cursor moving around, and she is uh, multitasking with all her friends, and it unfolds in real time Mm -hmm. as this whole thing happens. The camera, if that's really what you can call it, never 
goes off of that screen. That's all you ever yeah. see. And, and you it, see when she's getting distracted, when she's going on to Spotify to listen to a different song. Right. You see the different <laughs> right. tabs that are up there for her shopping, like right. the Forever 21 tab that's right. up there. You see, <laughs> right. Yeah, you see all of those things that she's looking at exactly in time. Right. I I just want to say that I thought this film was completely fascinating. Um, I just thought this was something completely new and different that has been done here. And and it's so refreshing, A, not to see another found footage horror movie, which I feel like has been kind of an old trend for several years now, Mm -hmm. but everyone keeps thinking is like the new thing that kids like. They like found footage stuff, which I guess they kind of do. But that's starting to seem very old to me. Oh, God. It was old after Blair Witch Project. I know it, or at least after Cloverfield, right? (laughs) So, But I feel like this just seems like something very, very new. And and I and maybe I'm just being a sucker because it's so kind of now and hip and youth-oriented, but I was really impressed by the whole execution of this thing, and I was impressed that this thing was able to be, if not genuinely scary, then at least kind of spooky and funny and engaging as when all you're really seeing is a bunch of cascading windows and a cursor moving frantically around the screen trying to open and shut things and reply and reply all. And, oh, no, the the reply all is grayed out. I can't do it. Oh, no, now what's happening? My computer's been haunted. And I was impressed at how the movie was able to really hold my attention for the entire running time. What about you? I have to say it really held my attention, too, and it actually reminded me of how we can get so easily sucked in by our own screen. Exactly. It's amazing. It's like, that's not even my screen. That's someone else's screen, and I'm just sucked in by it. Right. And she's got all these windows open. I want to see what's in all the windows. I'm going to click over here now. And it was amazing that how they played off the tension that we all feel when we have our smartphones open and we're starting to chat someone, and that dot, dot, dot's there, and it says, you know, yeah, typing. You're waiting. You're, <laughs> you're waiting, waiting for, for the person to, to respond, and then they, and then nothing comes up. And then right. you see how Blair types out stuff and erases it, types things out and erases them when she's trying to reply, but right. but not sound too scared when right. she's chatting her so boyfriend. So you're, see, you're seeing her. You're her seeing her process. inner monologue on the screen as she's trying to formulate a response, which is I thought really interesting. Yeah, very clever and totally something that. I'm like, oh, we all do that. Yes. Every single one of us does that. And it's actually pretty good. <laughs> I think it's I, I think it's really interesting. I really enjoyed Unfriended. But uh yeah, I almost found it more um like intellectually stimulating than actually scary. The whole time the whole time I was watching it, about halfway through, I thought, you know who would love this movie if he were still alive? Michel Foucault. Michel oh. Foucault would love this movie, right? Wouldn't he be fascinated by wow. this? Wow, bringing out the Foucault. Wow. I got look, I got to do it. Zizek's still around. Let Zizek watch it, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, I don't God. know. If, I don't know if he's is he still around? Is he still alive? Oh my God, we're horrible. Oh, no, I, don't I feel know. like I'm back in my cultural studies class. I know, in my right? Youth. <laughs> but I really, but I really did. I kind of, I kind of thought, boy, if you were a French theorist or a cinema studies professor, you've just found a new addition to your syllabus, right? This is this film would be fascinating to to talk oh, about. Yeah, the object of the gaze. The... Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the medium within the medium. Uh, so I would say Unfriended was actually a really good date. I totally agree. Great. All right. Everyone rush out and see Unfriended. I wonder if that'll happen. Oh, I hope so. I actually do. I do. <laughs> but that's not it today, folks. We're not just reviewing these movies. Stay with us because after the break, we're talking with the great Oscar Isaac. 
Movie Date is supported by the Movie Music Stream at YourClassical.org, a new site for expertly curated streams, unique programs, and relevant features to promote calm and focus. Click, listen, and relive your favorite moments on the silver screen. Find a steady stream for your epic scenes with movies at YourClassical.org. I'm Kristen Meinzer. And I'm Rafer Guzman. And this is Movie Date. And Rafer... You know what's on Facebook.com slash Movie Date Podcast now? What? A photo of me and somebody very, very handsome. Someone besides me? (laughs) I know. You know, it's hard to have people in the world almost as handsome as you, isn't it, Rafer? It is. Doesn't it make it feel a little bit like, oh, get off my back. I'm the handsome one here. They're out there. There there. There are some people almost as handsome as you. But there is a picture of me with Oscar Isaac, who you've been a fan of for a very long time. I was an early adopter of the the Oscar Isaac. (laughs) Ever since a little film he was in called Agora, he had a small part in this goofy kind of uh, Greco-Roman, you know, epic romance movie. A very odd, odd movie. And Oscar Isaac's in it, and he has these kind of funny lines and and this kind of insouciant sort of manner to him. And I remember thinking, who is that guy? That guy is really enjoyable in this. And ever since then, I've been really into him. Yeah. So we've since then seen him in Inside Lewin Davis, in Secret. He's going to be in all the upcoming Star Wars movies. He's the Star Wars guy. Yeah, he's the new Star Wars guy. And he's also in a movie out right now called Ex Machina, which is about a guy, a reclusive genius living in the mountains, played by Oscar Isaac. He makes robots. Yep. And his latest invention he calls Eva. And Eva is an artificial intelligence machine that's kind of sexy, a little Svedka vodka, if you will, mm-hmm. that he wants to have some other people test. So he brings in Donald Gleason to give it the touring test, give Eva this test to see, are you human enough? Can you fool me into thinking you're human? Here's a clip. Do you know what the Turing test is? It's when a human interacts with a computer. And if the human doesn't know they're interacting with a computer, the test is passed. And what does the pass tell us? That the computer has artificial intelligence. Are you building an AI? I've already built one. And over the next few days, you're going to be the human component in the Turing test. So Oscar Isaac came into studio a few days ago, and I got to sit down and talk with him. You were there in, in our hearts. In spirit. You, Thank you, you. you were there in spirit. And the first thing I wanted to know was why his character Nathan, up here in the reclusive mountains, needs to have a female robot who's so sexy. I mean, it, it seemed a little bit male fantasy-ish. So here's what he said. I, I think that potentially, because of, I mean, without trying to give away too much of what ends up happening plot-wise... It actually could it would be quite a misogynistic film <laughs> if it was the other way around. You know, the implications could be a little bit strange. I think it, you have to remember this is the character Nathan. You know, he is uh, a dark figure. Uh, he is okay ushering in the end of civilization, and again, he's up there by himself. And uh, this speaks to his sexual proclivities. You know, I think that there's something to be said about you know he thinks well, what for him is the most beautiful thing. You know, and he thinks of, you know, a woman of that age. And so he decides to continue to make this machine. And there's a phenomenon that happens when this machine becomes self-aware. It wants to escape. That's the first thing that happens. So I think he believes that the better he makes the model, the better it'll be at trying to escape. And one of these days, when he makes it so good, so intelligent, it will escape. Is that the goal, do you think? Or do you think the goal is that he wants to make the ultimate robot who will never want to escape? 
I think he knows that, that it's a matter of time. I mean, he says that there, one of these days, don't feel bad for the AIs. They're going to look back on us like uh, primitive animals with crude language and tools. Uh, so he knows that that's coming. I think uh, to get back to the sexuality thing, um, for him, and this is an argument in the film, he says he makes the argument that you cannot have consciousness without sexuality because at the root of consciousness is interaction and sexuality is is it's quite an interaction. <laughs> so he makes them sexual by design. And who's going to interact with them sexually? He's the only guy up there. He's the only person there. So so he has sex with these robots in order to enlighten them. <laughs> <laughs> or so he believes. So he believes. Yes, but they're actually trapped. They're trapped there. And and it does bring up the the idea if if we get to the point where we can where we can make a machine that seems to be self-aware what rights does it then have? And But then won't they all just take over, just like the movie speculates? <laughs> and just as movies have speculated for decades and decades, the oh, fear of the robot takeover. Yeah, potentially. I mean, there are some very serious scientific thinkers that believe that we have to caution with that. You know, we have to have caution when we do that. But there's also optimists that believe as our machines uh, become more powerful, we also will become more machine with nanotechnology, with you know, who knows, downloading our brains into certain, uh, you know, software. Uh, Kurtzweil is definitely a big proponent of that. He's he's quite an optimist. But then also, isn't there a concern that we might choose machines over humans? I mean, you look at the fact that already so many people would rather just interact with video games yeah. or with machines or just to bring up um, recent studies that have been done in Japan where half the young people said they would rather interact with porn and video games than actually have sex with other humans. And mm-hmm. Is there any concern that this is actually our future? Absolutely. I mean, I think that when you think about that, you know, the, the pessimistic view and the optimistic view, when the optimistic view is that, well, we'll just become more machine, you know, <laughs> that's pretty dark, I think, you know. So, so yeah, I think that is a, that is a concern. And, you know, so history has shown us that we don't really have control over the things we make. And that's something that we've been grappling with as, as humans for a long time. I mean, that's why these, the Frankenstein tale, you know, all these tales, you know, we see that with industry, with the system, economic system, social systems that we create, you know, we kind of give over to them and then we become to a certain extent enslaved by them. Yeah. I, I, I think about even the smaller things in our lives, like the phones in our pockets, how yeah. How long can most of us go without checking our phones? And, it's, yeah. And it's like, oh, and this is just a tiny little thing that doesn't even weigh a pound that's mm-hmm. in my pocket. And, and also, the, 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 you know, of, of course, again, so convenient, so great that you can figure out, you know, directions to somewhere so quickly, but totally disposable at the same time. It's information that it's not knowledge. It's just info. It's content. But it has all of our information, too. Yes. So yeah. that is us, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let me ask you a question about other robots in the movies. You are going to be in all these Star Wars movies. Mm. And um, are you going to be hanging out with R2-D2 or C-3PO in these movies? I can't say, but I, do, I can say that they're in the film. Okay, good. <laughs> but but I, I, uh, I, I can't say. You're sworn to secrecy I, and yes, everything else. Yes, I'm being monitored at this very moment. <laughs> do you have any other favorite movie robots? Hal. I think Hal... Is, oh, you like the dark robots. Yeah, it's so scary. And it was, you know, to think that Kubrick did this back then, you know, in the 60s. Um, but he imbued it with such scary life. 
and childlike wonder at the same time. Uh, I think that um, that's probably my favorite artificial intelligent robot. And I and I got to say, I think our Ava in Ex Machina uh, gives him a run for his money. It's pretty. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to yeah. give anything away about her, but she is quite mesmerizing and possibly terrifying. And that has a lot on, to do with Alicia yeah. Vikander, the the actress that that plays uh, Ava. She she does an incredible job because she's got such discipline of movement, and um, and she just very wisely plays something that's trying to be human. Yeah, which is such a fine line because she can't quite be human. Right, she's almost too perfect. When something's too perfect, it, it you know it's like when you see a face that's perfectly symmetrical. It's like something's also a little bit off about that. You know, it feels inhuman because it is that uncanny valley. Why yeah, would anyone exactly. want to have sex with that? All right, I'm just <laughs> I'm gonna leave it there. But Oscar, you have to be a sick person to do that. Nathan <laughs> is that, you know? Yeah. Well, it's not just him, but I won't give it away. Okay, won't right. give it away. Oscar Isaac, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me on. That is Oscar Isaac, star of Inside Lewin Davis, In Secret, the upcoming Star Wars films, and his current film is called Ex Machina. Kristen, it's time to bid our listeners adieu with trivia. Oh, sadly, that moment. Adieu, adieu to you and you and you, <laughs> as the Von Trapp say. <laughs> well, uh, last week we'd been talking about While We're Young, the new Noah Baumbach movie about a, about a one-time hipster trying to recapture his youth with a new generation of hipsters. And we thought of another movie in which the opposite kind of happens, in which uh, a, a younger person wants to be older. We played this clip. What happened to us? I mean, how come we never stayed friends? I don't know. I forget. No, what happened? <laughs> I don't know. I can pretty much peg it to your 13th birthday party. Uh, you were in the closet playing that game. What is it? Spin the rapist. There's seven minutes in heaven and everybody dish, And that is the last thing I remember. Look, we don't have to get into this. It's such a long time ago. It really doesn't matter anymore. It matters to me. Just, just tell me. We asked you to name that movie. We got a flood of answers. Oh, so many men, women, people of all ages. Yeah. So many answers Fascinating. This week. Fascinating. And here's the answer that we picked. Hi, this is Mayor Rose Pepe uh, calling from Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, I'm calling in about this week's trivia question. The answer is, of course, 13 going on 30, starring the lovely Jennifer Garner and Mark Ruffalo. And that is one of the cheesiest but possibly one of my favorite movies. And it is a great movie about growing up and i'm really glad you guys honored it on your show thank you wow maris i think that's your name i think that's her name yeah Yeah. you we randomly selected you out of the many 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 responses we got this week and we're so glad you liked that movie reefer you haven't even seen it. Never seen it. Which you now have to go out and see this movie. I got I got to see it's 13, 13 going on 30. Jennifer I've Garner's see just it. delightful in it. She's, and I love Mark Ruffalo. Yeah, they're both delightful in that movie. So 13 going on 30 is correct. And this week, our trivia question, in honor of all that technology out there, those computers those kids use nowadays. All those interwebs. All those interwebs, yes. We're going to be playing a clip of another movie where the internet factors in quite a bit into the storyline. And here is the clip. So what's his handle? Uh, I'm not going to write him. Is that what you're worried about? You think I'm going to email him? All right, NY152. NY152, 152. He's 152 years old. The number of people who think he looks like Clark Gable. 152 people who think he looks like a Clark Barr. (laughs) Gee, whose voices are that? Ooh, 
I don't know, but it involves computers. They said handle. Yes. Yes. What is his handle? <laughs> like, like, like it's CB. <laughs> if you know the name of that movie, give us a call. 5717movies. Or you can visit us at facebook.com slash movie date podcast. I'm-